0: Hola, I'm Elias Torres, co-founder and CTO of Drift. You are listening to the American Dream Podcast. Did you know that Drift is part of just 2% of VC-backed startups led by Latin American founders? Well, I'm on a mission to change that. On this show, you will hear from leaders who have achieved their own version of the American Dream. We'll talk about what the process looked like to get there, the obstacles they faced along the way, and the work we still have to do to build the new face of a diverse corporate America. Bienvenidos a todos. Uh, today I have with me Stacy de Armas, the senior vice president of Diverse Consumer Intelligence and Initiatives at Nielsen. Stacy grew up in California with her Cuban family. She's a cubana. She's never imagined she'd be in the role that she's at today. So we're going to talk about. What her journey looked like and why she does what she does, right? I think I've just been impressed just talking to her about the role that she could be playing for us and, and how powerful and, and, and the representation that we have from her in this industry. Uh it is for us Latinos uh and, and underrepresented people. So I'm I'm very delighted to uh to have you here. Stacey,
1: welcome, buenos Dias. Hola, gracias. It's so good to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation.
0: So early, right? have you, you know.
1: I'm in Los Angeles. It's early, but it's my pleasure to be here. I'm excited.
0: Perfect. Awesome. So, you know, let's do. There's so much amazing stuff that we we already started talking about, and I think we, we want to go on that. But let us learn a little bit more about yourself. I always love to hear the journey of, of everyone's American dream. Right. And tell me a little bit about your background and, and your childhood getting to a little bit to this point. Right.
1: Sure. Um, well, I grew up in in Los Angeles. Uh, my dad grew up in Havana, as did uh, almost all of my family. And uh, like many, my dad came to the United States uh, as a teen uh, in the '60s and uh, made his way. And I I think it's really interesting. They of course they started out in Miami, and back then there wasn't really a English second language programs, so my dad struggled a little bit with school. And then they moved to Los Angeles, where. Uh, it's actually a, a, a bit of an interesting story. My grandfather heard that there was work um, in Hollywood and at the studios. And so he thought, well, let's go there. That sounds exciting, you know, very, very uh, an exciting American dream. So he picked up his family from Miami, where Spanish was you know, perfectly perfect. And um, they drove out here, you know, much like you would see in a, in a movie, in a in a station wagon with you know boxes hanging out the side, the things that they had acquired because of course, when they came to the United States, they had nothing. Uh, they lived in um, uh, for a little bit, my grandmother tells me in a church. Uh, like basement area, and they used the washroom in in the church until they were placed with a family who who helped them get on their feet and, and get jobs and things in Miami. And then, of course, um, came out to Los Angeles. My grandfather did quickly get a job at the studios. And so my dad was thrust into the American school system, uh, not knowing English very well, really just from having, you know, picked up from television and, and the movies, again, coming in into the picture. And so he struggled in school, uh, not because he's not a wise man, he's the the smartest man I've ever met. Um, But because of the language barrier, I think, and the challenge for him. And so growing up in uh, Southern California, he met my mom, and you know, I came along shortly after, and grew up with this really beautiful, big Cuban family. Um, And it's interesting, because as I think about it now, it wasn't until I was probably in maybe second or third grade that I realized that my experience was, you know, different from uh, the other Latinos I was around in Los Angeles. It's very dominated Mexican culture. It's beautiful culture, but I did feel very much alone and sort of um, like my experience, my lived experience was different than the community that I was living within, which, which brings us, I think, to, you know, the beautiful intersectionality of our community. Fast forward. I always had a passion in my heart, Elias, for, Latino communities and Hispanics in general. And when I think about, uh, I mean, even just from elementary school on the places I've really leaned in and in my, the early jobs that I had in college and, and even in high school, I was always drawn to represent our community in some way. And I know that sounds sort of maybe over the top or how could that be true? But I think back to, you know, when I was, I was a, a bank teller in Pomona, California, which is a you know, largely Latino area too. And really quickly, I was a bank bank teller in college. Really quickly, I ended up managing our Spanish language loan desk. And this is I'm telling you, I was like 20. (laughs) I was like 20 years old. But I spoke the language. Well, I could work with our clients. And I ended up also handling just all new accounts and issues. And I quickly saw like really simple things it's going to sound silly to say it now right now it's basic but this was back in in you know in the 90s things like you don't need a checking account for $8.95 a month Like, here's what we're gonna do. You're gonna get a savings account. All you need to do is don't cash more than six checks a month. You can do all of these things, and it's not gonna cost you anything as long as you do this. Okay, you don't have direct deposit. Here's what we can do. You don't need a driver's license to do this. Whoever told you that, that's not true. You know, and trying, I I realize now as I look back, I was trying to help the community understand the American financial system in a way that wouldn't, you know, wouldn't um, be detrimental. And I have to tell you exactly like you can imagine on, in a movie. I had like families of families of families coming in, looking for me at 20 to like open a checking account, understand the same just because they're like, Esa señora ya te puede. you can trust her. I mean, and I was just, it was such a, such an honor. And I would have people coming in waiting for me and like, Wanting to know when I worked, so they could send in their brother or their sister, and it was so I was so proud being able to resource these people in you know this I shouldn't say it, resource my community in a way that was beneficial for them, help them understand the American financial system. You know, language wasn't a barrier. Like let's let's do this, let's not do that, and I I just loved it. It was wonderful, and I've carried that little passion with me throughout my career.
0: <laughs> you almost had me in tears here. Oh,
1: <laughs> now you're going to have me in tears.
0: <laughs> this is what just people don't understand about us, right? You know what I mean? It's like, how could we, and, and, and the thing is like, oh my God, just so many things you just said, right? It just hit me up. But the last part, you crushed me because I worked at Bank of America as a teller. <laughs> me too. <laughs> it was Bank of America?
1: Yeah, it was Bank of America in Pomona. I loved it. they, and they let me go whatever I wanted to do. I wanted to build an educational series. And, and I mean, I, it, now that's, what, that, that's fancy words for it. Let's on a Saturday, we'll have coffee and donuts and we'll bring in you know, people from the community that are, that are under-resourced and underbanked, And I'm just gonna tell them like, you know, I'm gonna say this in air quotes, how to get around the bank charges. Like there's a whole lot of ways you can do it. And you can, you know, at that point um, credit was difficult, but you could still get a secured account and you didn't have to put in 500. You could actually do it for just 150. And, and I will be here to make sure your money comes back to you. I am not leaving. And we did it and, and I did on my own.
0: And so you, you you're, you are, I'm similar, but not like you're badass. You're, you're like completely La Hefa, you know, the grassroots activist, <laughs> right? The, I I did it on a much smaller scale, but that's what they would always grab me, right? And like, Elias, come come here, come here. We, we need you. I was in Tampa, Florida, right? Like, come here, talk to this person, right? And i done that. But this this thing that we have that is so precious, that is, is really... Desire that is just built in into us, especially the closer you are to the immigrants, right? Is there are people, white people, that grew up here, right? That they are established, that they're securing their identity in their communities, right? Their they, they, their their family supports them; they don't have anything to worry, don't have this the same feeling that we know. We all have nothing. And so we all start and we have this built in into like, we got to go help that lady. We got to go help that that, that man. We got to help this family. It's like, I remember my mother sending me first time on a plane to to United States. And she asked this lady, can you please take care of my son? He's flying by himself, right? And in the end, the lady needed so much more help that I'm here, like 11 years old,
1: helping her. Oh, God. Meanwhile, if someone asked me that, I'd be like, oh, my God, yes, your child, we, it's going to be the best flight of their life. They're going to learn something, yeah. they're going to have
0: snacks. <laughs> but, it's like, but we have this thing, right? What you said brings out, you think it's a silly story, but today it's still as prevalent as it was. You know, I feel like people don't have bank accounts. Why do we don't progress? Because we're spending so much money in cash. We don't have the, we, 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 we're getting too many fees. We don't have the right understandings. The banks are not, are designed to, you know, not allow those people to progress and buy in places where a check is taken. Instead, you only go to places where cash is taken. I mean, like there's so many issues with, with financial education that our communities don't have because of fear of getting deported, fear of pressure, discrimination, mm-hmm. lack of information, right? So like that thing that you were doing for people, is the way that we think about it, that scrappiness of like, how do we avoid, how do we help overcome those things that to others is not a big deal, right?
1: And I, I think, uh, you know, I, I, to be honest, I didn't know I was being an activist or trying to do well. I just I love the way it made me feel. I like that. It, I like was had a little, you know, it was so popular like they would come in. They wanted to see me. I, I loved my people. Um, and it, it just felt good. That's that's why I did it. But the point that I think you're making, too, that it really is not lost on me is that it's not that our family, our communities need like help or it. We just need the resources. Like the information was there. It just wasn't presented in a way that the community could receive it. It was there. It was all in papers, but it was in fine print. It was in English. It was difficult to deconstruct, especially when you compare it to the financial systems in Mexico or, or in, in Latin America. They're different financial systems. And so we just needed to be not a translation of words, but of, of works right and i i just could do that and i and i wasn't some special banker again i was 20 21 22 i just was able to read it ask the questions and then make it work and so that's kind of where my passion for representing our community started and i've um you know cascaded that in my career in media and entertainment and in advertising and that's where i sit today i sit in a world where i advocate for inclusion in media and entertainment and identity research around our community, the Latino community, the, the intersection of our community, uh, Afro-Latinidad, which I'm sure we'll talk about, and also other communities. I, I advocate and build programs and intelligence for Native American, Asian, Black communities, disability communities.
0: No, this is this is wonderful. I think that these are, for me to to store I I think we're hitting on two important things that sometimes I think we we talk about and I feel like all we do is complain about social uh, injustice or social inequity. But I think we get into the root of two important aspects of it. One, the real cause of inequity is the lack of information, right? It's all about information. It's not about our color. It's not about our brains, our intelligence, our abilities, none of that stuff, right? It's uh, our morals, whatever it is, our, our politics. None of that. It's about the access to information, right? And that is really what divides and separates people and creates inequalities, right? Uh, and and I think the role that you're playing is such so an important one because of the ability that it has to scale, right? It's it's we, we have to do focus on things that have the mo- major leverage, right? And the other point I think that we need to talk more about is that special sauce that we have, which is how is it possible that I'm from Nicaragua, right? And I come and I live all my life in Nicaragua. And by the way, I have a story where I immigrated to, to L.A. I lived in Southgate, California for two Did years you? when I was 11. I went to Southgate Junior High and Southgate High in, in a predominant Mexican community. you know. But I grew up in Nicaragua. All I, all I ever known is Nicaragua and Nicaraguan people, right? It was so very homogeneous in a way, right? And how is it that I go to L.A.? How is it that I come to Tampa? And all of a sudden, now I become a member of the Latina community and a desire to love and to care for people, for our people. Right. And like I I still to this day. Right. It's like I'm, I'm, I'm members, you know, unfortunately, I don't know if this is bad or not, but it's like the staff or wherever I go. Right. We immediately connect. Right. They know me. I'm same. part of a of a private social club is the most elitist thing that is in Boston. I was invited from a diversity perspective, but the staff is my friend. Like I enjoy more hanging oh, with the staff. First stop. Than,
1: the first stop. Same, same for me. I didn't even tell you about my waitressing jobs, <laughs> but same. I mean, the community, the back of the house community, those are my people. Those yeah. are my
0: people. And so, we, but we're the ones, like I, I say to people, like when I'm talking, I used to clean the offices in Tampa, Florida of the dentist's office, American life insurance, I would go with my mother, empty the trash cans, vacuum the rugs, clean the toilets. So I'm the American dream. And that's what we're sharing here of like I was there when I see a a father or a mother with a child cleaning an office. My job is to go inspire them, say, look what's possible. You can be an entrepreneur. You can be financially wealthy. You can be financially free for the rest of your life, not just getting a better job, not just getting an education. But I want to show them everything that is possible and by bringing people like you here and show like that we have so many options right and so that's that's what this is about it's possible this this country is unbelievable right I, I firmly believe in the American dream and that is alive today so please tell me more about you uh, and and, 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 and well, your journey so so
1: well, you're, you're giving me the chills Oh, I'll tell you about Nielsen, but I want to I wanna just address that. You, it just gave me the chills to hear you talk about that. I, I, I just had a conversation the other day, a, a business conversation, and people were talking about different experiences, having done things. And if I had done that experience growing up and I, I literally, I actually said, I, I hesitated for a minute and then I thought, I'm going to say it. And I said on this call with very important people, I said, I didn't do that growing up. But what I can do is retile your bathroom in a weekend. And I'm very good at it. And I if you have any sprinkler issues, I'm your girl. I can, I can take care of all of that. And I started thinking about like the experiences I had growing up and how much they shaped the like the tenacity and the and the dedication that I have to work through difficult things today. You know, and I, I always say, my brother and I always say it's from my dad, like nothing's really too hard. You just don't know how to do it yet. But there's there's nothing. I mean nothing, you know. Like, you want to mud a wall this weekend? Let's go. Like, there's nothing that's too hard. And I really think that that's from growing up, um, you know, in an immigrant family. That's sort of scrappy. You, you, you get through those things. So you
0: just hit upon this, this like recently. <laughs> recently, I've been developing this life mantra, and 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 help me make it better, right? But what I'm realizing that life is about, it's about becoming stronger. I don't know if this it's, 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 it's like I just think that what experience gives us right as we grow in life, we become stronger. And, and it doesn't have to be stronger, strengthened in, in, in like, a, you know, super powerful way. But it's it's for us to be able to handle life, whatever life is for us as individuals. And I think the intent should be for us to be stronger, to be able to handle the next one that is going to come because life is hard. And and, 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 and I see a lot of a lot of people that are earlier in their careers, they struggle with anxiety and they struggle with stress about all kinds of issues, what they're going to become or how hard this job like startups are hard. And that is the key of, of diversity and, and, and immigrants. Right. My life was so hard at that time that. To most people, is really hard. I I didn't think it was hard because I came from even a worse situation. So to me, being able to clean offices and make some money to buy a car that would have been an impossibility. Think about Cuba, right? Who can buy a car in Cuba? It's, oh my goodness! It's like every car is fifty years
1: old and thirty thousand dollars. We we were just there visiting my uncle, and I you know it, just to 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 really unpack the circumstances there. And I'm glad that it's getting some attention now. Um, In in the United States, I don't like that it's being, you know, sort of politicized. But it, it you're you're exactly right it's incredibly difficult in many of our home countries and to think about you know why all of these things that influence immigrants to make their way here and to uh, and to take this shot you know i i i have to be perfectly honest in my my life i don't i don't know that I, I would call it hard growing up it certainly wasn't but my dad uh, you know just what he had lived through what he carried into us the Um, The values he instilled in us were all as a result of coming here and figuring it out and working at a hospital when he was, you know, I don't know, 15 or 16 or, you know, like in and cleaning up at night while he was in high school doing like a night shift bedpan like, you know, route. So, I mean, all of that influenced me and the work that I, I bring forward into Nielsen. And I've Nielsen has been, it, it, today's actually my anniversary at Nielsen. I've spent a very long part of my life at Nielsen and I am grateful for every minute. Nielsen has allowed me to research topics I think are important to our community, to share insights around our community, to elevate the value of our community, to brands, to marketers, to entertainment. And they have given me really the license to do what I think needs doing for our community and use our resources to do that. And I'm, it's been a, an absolute privilege.
0: No, it, it is wonderful. I, I, I do think in, it's such an underappreciated, undervalued, underutilized ability that we have, that we have been role modeled by our parents and by ourselves and by those first generation immigrants, right, of like what's hard and what are we willing to do. For survival, mm-hmm. yeah. for 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 basic I think life about it, necessities, right?
1: I think about it with my son. So my son is going through, you know, he's he's getting ready to go to college, and he's he's um and, and he also has a job, of course, because that's what we do, right? He doesn't need to have a job necessarily now, but I'm like, you're sixteen. It's go time. You, know, I had a job. I'm sure you. I had my first job when I was 14 years old. I'm like, that's what we do around here. We work, and so as I think about watching him getting ready for college and trying to balance like his work schedule, his things have opened back up, so he has you know band and he has different things he wants to do at school, uh, and and I've told him, you got you got to work, and it's not because because that work ethic, that value is is born, it's carried over, right, from our parents to us, and it's born in that responsibility. And so um, I, it's, I, I want him to, to build that responsibility, but also to give back to our communities. I'm, and this boy, you know, he I'm so proud of him. He's wrote, written this beautiful essay about the privilege of coming from an immigrant
0: family you know yeah I, I was, <laughs> and so uh, yeah no, I know I'm in I'm in the same boat so my oldest is um, 18 she just started college northeastern Wow and um, she's worked two summers right she worked at a deli in um, and, and she doesn't need to work right and, and and I'm trying to figure out how do I pass down their spoiled compared to me like completely but, mm-hmm. but there's this DNA and there's something that I'm able to pass to her, right? That she's like, she walked into a deli in 4th of July last summer, not this summer, but the summer before, and she says, do you guys need any help? And the owner says, yes, come by tomorrow, 9 a.m. And so guess where they put it? They put it to do the dishes, right? She, she drives
1: in a Tesla
0: to work, right? Oh it's, gosh. It's a, <laughs> she,
1: she, she, she drives
0: in a Tesla and they put it to do the dishes.
1: And you said, "Good, Mika. You're gonna learn so much back there. That's where you start."
0: And she goes in there, like, but but they don't notice, right? And they ask her, like, "Okay, you're gonna get paid uh, $10 an hour, 11 if you show me your passport." And she's like, "Dad, what is what does that mean?" It's like, if you're illegal, you get paid less. I go, if you're legal, mm-hmm. you get paid the real wage, you know, or something like that. And, and so and so she was like, "Wow!" So she got to learn so much. She. They saw her skin color. They saw what she looked like. And they assumed that she's an, an illegal alien. You go to the back, you do the dishes, and she would have come back with her hands completely, like, you know, shredded from... Yeah, like all like wrinkly. And, and she would be so tired. She would come straight to sleep. But she's such a strong woman, right? And she, she did that. She worked her way up. She did the sandwiches. She would get yelled at for not doing them right. Um, they would add any Spanish music on the radio. they would be like, oh, we now have somebody. She felt all the discrimination, right? And she was, oh and she's tough though. She she finished. I wanted her. I go, feel it, feel it, you know? So you know your people, right? And, 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 and what's happening. And then this, this past summer, she worked at a coffee shop and, um, and she saved all her money. And, uh, and, and she's like worked till the last day and they had to work in five, six days a week. 7 a.m. when you wake up and I I just like so delighted like that like to me work it's the values it's a privilege the values I I couldn't Mm -hmm. work there wouldn't there are no jobs in Nicaragua and so like adults are scrambling for jobs if I was a kid what what was my jobs I had no jobs there was no like I would have to literally like sell fruit in a in a in a a light you know at a stoplight like there's no there's no jobs for us right and so coming here and having the ability to work and get paid hourly wages, I was blown away, you know, like of that.
1: And that's a narrative change I love, and I'm gonna use that. It's like you don't have to work, you get to work. You have the privilege of working.
0: That we have that we have a place that they're looking for us to work, that they're gonna pay us for it. You know what I mean? All that stuff to me is like that that's the difference in how we approach a job at a at IBM, at a startup, at an investment firm. It's like people are like, oh, I hate my job. It's like people complain at all levels. All they do is complain about <laughs> jobs. I don't complain about jobs. I love every job I've ever had. Every job has been better. Everybody's saying. been different, right? And it's like, I worked at a uh, cleaned offices. I worked at a bank. I worked at um, IBM. I worked in startups, right? It's like every job I had, I can do the range, and so having range. Is something that is very fundamental that we can share from our communities and for and to our children, right? Absolutely. And so um tell me more about information, misinformation. How can we, what are the topics that, that you're seeing lately? I want to hear about that. And I also want to hear also, I think that the role you make in in, in, in media, right, is the that you play is so important because I'm a big believer in role models, right? It's my duty, it's my responsibility. Just like you help that lady get the bank account and and you say to them, like, do this and you save on fees. I'm here telling these stories to people to say like, look, you can become a multimillionaire in this country. You can invest in startups, start investing in stocks. We need we need to give access to people. I wanna share all the tricks and and, and tips that I've learned so people can be wealthy. They can be mentally satisfied. They have the jobs that they need. They have the freedoms that they can take care of their families for generations to come. Because not, not enough people like us are saying this. So tell me what you are seeing in, right. in media that we need for, because we need more role models.
1: We do. And so every year, Nielsen, as I was saying earlier, Nielsen uh, has really given me a license to report on what I think needs reporting on, to write on what I think is important to our community. So I just we just released our uh, 2021 annual report that's called inclusion information and intersection and it's the it really over is an overview of the truth about how to connect with US Latinos today one of the main topics that we address in here is representation on screen and in media and Hollywood. And the reason we decided to dive into this is, well, so let me back up one step. I think when people think of Nielsen, they often think of TV ratings, right? They think of Super Bowl ratings and TV ratings. And maybe what they don't know is that we do social and economic research. And increasingly, research around identities, right? So how people are presented in content, whether or not we show up in content, and the frequency with which people do. So it's not just about audiences, which is a a core pillar, right? We look at audiences, who's watching what, but we also wanna understand things about what people are watching. So metrics about content, right? Representation, uh, thematic attributes, stuff like that, because we think it's in the intersection of what is on screen and who is watching it that we can better understand content development. We can better understand um, some you know, sociology elements like identity formation and otherwise. So in our new work, we go down a, a couple of rabbit holes. All of them are really fun ones. But around, when it comes to representation and content, we know that overall Latinos are underrepresented on screen period, right? Our representation, we are 19% of the population. We're only visible about 10% of the time across uh, broadcast television and, um, and streaming, broadcast cable and streaming. 10%, cable and streaming. that's a lot, no? Well, our population is 20% almost, we're at 19. So if we're only there 10%, that seems high, but, but wait for it, it actually isn't that rosy. Because when you remove Spanish language television and English language TV alone, uh, so that's across broadcast, cable, and streaming. Uh, the representation is only about six percent. So if you think about that, if you're when your daughter and and, and my daughter are watching television, we're all, Latinos are only present if they're if they're watching in English, six percent of the time. And of that six percent, what sort of themes? Where are we present? Do we have equal representation in in news and in in comedy and in, you know, or are we mostly presented in reality and crime? I mean, so it's not just about the representation, it's the quality, where are we showing, are we in TV's most watched genres? Are we in TV's most popular shows? Or what, you know, what are the roles we're playing? So if you'll allow me, I'll, I'll give you a, a really quick example. We took a look in our report at specifically when Latinas are have high representation on screen. So we said, let's see all the shows where Latinas are well represented, right? Not just at 6%, but a big chunk of the of the cast. And then let's also take a look at where Latinas are a big part of the audience watching those shows. So essentially... Latinas watching Latinas—that's what we want to see, right? So then we said, "What kind of, what are the, what are the genres, and what are the thematic attributes of those shows?" And it was—it was startling. I mean, uh, you know, for for I was almost at a loss for words. The the when women when Latinas are watching Latinas on screen with good representation, they see themes like dysfunction, um, family drama, uh, police stations, uh, you know, just just these themes that are concerning at best because you're thinking these are how women, young Latinas, are seeing themselves in content. And we think, well, you know, maybe it was the the storyline of the show, right? Maybe maybe it wasn't presenting. Uh, maybe that was what was required for that. But what is more important is how our, our kids, how our community is forming its identity here in the U.S. And as we've seen increasingly over the past few years, how others outside of our community See us, right? By the way, when women, when white women uh, in the audience watched white women on screen, you can imagine what they saw. It was family homes, uh, sons and daughters. Picnics. I mean, it was un- an unbelievable difference between Latinas seeing Latinas on screen and white women seeing white women on screen. And that's when we knew at Nielsen that we could do more. And the main thing that we're, we're doing a lot of things. One thing we're doing now is producing metrics and benchmarks about representation, because we know we can't hold the industry accountable unless the industry can see what those numbers are and advance change.
0: That's unbelievable. Un- unbelievable. It, it's it's something that I just, you know, started to realize recently, right? It's 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 amazing. I didn't really pay attention to me. Think about it, right? Growing up, the the few TV, the few movies that came to Nicaragua were in Betamax, and they were like, you know, smuggled, you know, it, it, and and there was only a few households in the whole neighborhood that would have it, and and I would watch. Um, I remember Rambo and Commando. Those are like two movies every. Oh
1: my gosh, me too. I we must be exactly the same age because I have to, those were like my fave fave faves. I loved both of those movies. You probably also saw. Did you also see Remo Williams too? That was like a weird obscure one that was right around the same time as as Rambo and all that. Anyway, I
0: had limited access, right? Because you were in LA, right? And it's like I was in Nicaragua, well, I was in
1: LA, but we didn't have a lot of. We didn't have. uh, we have hey, my, my dad.
0: Like, we,
1: That's true. My dad worked at the studio actually at the time, so he would sometimes bring home movies. But uh, my dad was a blue collar worker. He worked uh, like my grandfather got him this job, and he was a you know a blue collar worker up at the studio doing a, a projection engineer.
0: It's amazing though, like the the what he did right in the influence. My my dad in LA, they, he would get stolen goods. He had a little business in a strip mall right there in in in, in, in Huntington Park, right. And, um, and, and people would come and sell them a stolen stereo, a stolen computer. I, I worked. I, my dad bought that computer and put it in the garage. He says, I don't know what that is, but you go play with it. And that was the beginning of my journey oh, with computers. It, it, it started. That's incredible. Just like you had those movies and you found that, right? And so it's like, who am I to judge? And I don't really care. I, you know, I, I became a, a, a successful computer tech entrepreneur. And it started from that stolen computer in the garage in, in, in South Gate, California, right?
1: You know what it makes me think about? I, I think about the first time I, I felt represented on screen. The first time I felt like, like I saw myself in content. I have to be completely honest with you. It was, every time I say this, people are like, well, that's not really seeing you. But I'm like, that's as close as I could get. It was watching Chips way back in the... It, because Ponch looked like my dad, looked like my family, like... There was nobody. He was the brownest on TV at that time. And I remember watching that thinking and my brother and I would watch chips and we would fight over who could be punch. And I don't know why. I mean, maybe he was a little cooler than John. I don't know. But we but it's like I remember seeing him and thinking this guy looks like me and us, you know, and isn't it's crazy to identify with Eric Estrada, a male. Actor, but that was as close as it was. I'm proud to say representation is better on screen now. But like I said, if you can't measure it, you can't hold the industry accountable. The good news is the industry want, know, now that the data is there, the industry is moving toward equity and representation. And we're seeing that this year, some of the biggest theatrical releases of the year, uh, and even in streaming were, you know, were um, Latino themed content. It, the only bad news is there's not enough, right? When you have one big theatrical release, the whole community, every corner, puts pressure for representation. So even though in this release, I felt incredibly seen, there's a beautiful Cuban storyline, and I don't want to get into to all of, you know, around it, but there's a beautiful Cuban storyline. So we, my family, I was with my dad at the theater and we watched it, and the camera goes by a bubbling bowl of Ropa Vieja, and he hit me with his elbow and he's like, did you see that? We were in the theater here in in, near Pasadena. And I said, I saw it. And there was like, he put his hands over his eyes. And he was just like, he felt so seen. And I did too. But at the same time, there were so many within our community that did not feel seen. We know, you know, I'm sure you know what movie I'm talking about. And I think it's the, the the difficult part of that is that the pressure when we do have visibility because there's so few pieces of content, Elias, that are greenlit that have Latino stories. There's so much pressure for every piece of content to get represent all 30 of our communities. Every and it's be it's not it's because there isn't enough content being greenlit. The stories and the ideas are there. We have Latino writer rooms that we support. Nielsen supports. There are. There are amazing, there's amazing talent within our community. The question is, where is it not being greenlit and made? And that's at the the studio level. And so that's where we're focusing our efforts to give the data and the resources to prove not only that representation isn't where it should be, but that when it is where it should be, shows do better. Audiences like more representation. Even if you're not Latino, white audiences like representation, black audiences like better representation. People want to see their lived experience and your lived experience is not just your community. You live with many others. So it's changing. What well, what were we talking about? Talking in the Heights? Yes, we were talking about in the Heights. <laughs> yeah, fan, just a fantastic, fantastic movie. Even though I know a large portion of our community felt unseen, I also know a large portion of our community did feel seen. So it was tough. You know, it's a, a bit of a, you, you feel- I'm, I'm never
0: going to- it, it's a, this is what I meant. It is special. At least how I approached this is like I am nowhere. I'm trying to remember. I don't know if Anthony Bourdain went to Nicaragua or, or like I'm trying to remember if I there was an episode. But
1: um he might have. He went everywhere.
0: <laughs> he went everywhere. I think I saw an episode and I was just blown away. But other than that, Nicaragua, the only thing that anybody knows about Nicaragua is Iran Contras. contrast Oliver North. Um, mm-hmm. Reagan, that's the only thing people know. Well, the,
1: the same for Colombia, I think, suffers the same, you know, media. I'm I'm going to Colombia in a week and a half, and I could not believe how much like calming of nerves I had to do of pe- for people because they have this one image that's been presented of this incredible country and and actually the reverse for Cuba.
0: And yeah, Cuba, too. And so and so, like, I'm usually not looking. So to me, any Hispanic, you know, Latino representation anywhere, it's I just feel the same way. Right. When, when, when I when I see a dish, when I when I see stuff, when it's being used positively. Right. I think it's interesting. I just learned something that Apple has a contract that Apple products cannot be on TV. Is that right? Unless they're being uh, used in a positive manner. Do you, I don't, do you know uh, that? that
1: I don't know. I I I I don't know, but I do know that increasingly
0: you can never see a villain with an iPhone. It's only the hero.
1: I did not know that, but I I what I I'm glad that the industry is taking note that they're looking at this data in at a granular level, right? It's not just how many people are on screen. How are people presented? In what you know and and imagery, right? Like when you go to Netflix and you look at all the images to, for you know picking a movie. You know, is there anything within the images that needs to be addressed? We we take a look at that too at Nielsen uh, through our Grace Note partners. So we, you know, this this is a there is a lot to tackle here, Elias. But the good news is, it's changing. Uh, representation is changing across the board. The industry is advocating it for its own, for itself, for itself to look at this data and change. Brands and agencies are, you know, the the entertainment community is. And so I think we are um, at the very beginning of what will be um, a wonderful journey in representation uh, coming forward in content. Th-
0: thank you so much. Uh, thank you for, this are this these are really, really great news. And, and I think that people like you right it, it plays such a key role in that i feel more comfortable right that it's not just whites trying to decide what to do and how to do it right but that you can hold them accountable and say like okay it's not just the percentages but it's the light it's like the be able to show allyship sponsorship collaboration equality on screen right of, of how we come across and how people of other of other ethnicities and and, and 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 genders are being represented on screen, so uh, this is fantastic. I think that this definitely supports. Um, it's, a, it's a great new insight. I'm in tech, so to to be connected with someone in media and to understand what the, the the battles that you're fighting over there for for your community from early childhood to now, you know, early early in your profession, it's not different, any different, right? You still you're still are spreading great information. Uh, and letting us know where we need to see ourselves, and we need to ask for it and demand it as consumers, right? And uh, it's going to make a big difference. I love the the chip story, right? And 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 people don't realize how much of an impact it, it's such an inspiration to see someone that looks like you. It's just a, it's a nature thing. It's a, it, like we if we see someone that is speaks our language looks like us or grew up in the same neighborhood it's just we're looking for inspiration as human beings and whatever commonality we can draw to somebody that is further ahead in their lives and their success in their american dream it inspires us to go try it right because that that's the kind of information share, sharing that happens when we meet someone like us right so thank you for for what you're doing appreciate your time getting up really early uh, anything you want to say? My
1: pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah,
0: what what's the what's the biggest advice you can give me in tech or, or for or, or for us to look into media to help change this?
1: I think the biggest advice I would give now is for us to really focus on the transfer of myths and disinformation, specifically in diaspora communities and Latino communities, using encrypted technology. I think uh, our community is. Uh, being deliberately targeted in some cases. Um, Of course, misinformation is just mischaracterized content, but disinformation is deliberate. And I do think because we are more prone to use um, encrypted technology, encrypted apps, that information spreads more widely in our communities, the impact is greater. And I would encourage uh, the tech community, along with communities that have the resources to research this, uh, to really try and, uh, and crack the code on how we can empower the community to to fact check and to you know validate information before it spreads further. Uh, that's the greatest risk I think our community has right now.
0: Yes, absolutely. We didn't touch as much on it, but it's the fact that, you know, our, our communities tend to spend a lot of time on WhatsApp, on Telegram, uh, maybe more. On, on I don't know if it's on Signal yet, but I know my whole family from Ecuador from, through my wife is on, on WhatsApp, right? And they're just messaging all mm-hmm. day long. But we're talking about... We'll
1: do a follow-up podcast we got to do a follow-up
0: all day on that. So, But it, it's really for us of like, how do we help our, our families and our communities to not spread disinformation, right? That, that really hurts our community and the progress of our communities. And so that's something to keep in mind and, and maybe we we'll talk more about it later. Thank you so much, I Stacey. I love to. You. Gracias. Tengo un buen día. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the American Dream podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe so you never miss when a new episode drops. If you like this episode, please leave a six star review wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you're interested in learning more about my American Dream mission, subscribe to my newsletter linked in the show notes.